Hello and welcome to episode three of the Women in the Word at Uni podcast. My name's Rachel and I have the privilege of opening the Bible with you today. Well, I'd like to start by asking you a question. How do you feel about dessert? Are you a sweet tooth? Does the thought of a cinnamon honey creme brulee or a marshmallow fudge sundae or a chocolate and salted caramel tart make you salivate just a little bit? If so, you might have enjoyed watching a show that was on TV a couple of years ago called Zumbo's Just Desserts. It was headlined by celebrity pastry chef Adriano Zumbo. He's probably best known for his amazing, inventive macaron flavours and other jaw-dropping desserts that he sells in his various stores across New South Wales and Victoria. As the name suggests, Zumbo's Just Desserts was a show in which 12 home cooks competed for a $100,000 grand prize by concocting fabulous and complex desserts. When you think about it, Just Desserts is really quite a clever name, isn't it? It's a clever play on words. Just Desserts plays on that saying we have in English where you talk about someone getting their just desserts. Now, when you use this phrase, you're saying that the person got what he or she deserved that justice was served. As a name for a cookery competition, Sumbo's Just Desserts suggests to us that the prize money would be awarded to the person who was most worthy, the person who rightly, justly deserved to win. In the final episode, in which competitors had to make a show-stopping, fairytale-inspired dessert, would it be the Snow White, the layered ice cream apple with sponge log, or that Jack and the Beanstalk, the three bean entremet with a mandarin egg yolk? Now, I won't give away the winner because you might want to go and have a look at it on Netflix, but you would hope that the winner was the one who was most deserving on the day, wouldn't you? You would hope that all that prize money was awarded to the baker who showed the greatest skill, the greatest precision and attention to detail, the best flavour and texture combination. You'd really hope that the winner truly deserved it. You would hope so because we like prizes to go to the deserving. We like people to be treated as they deserve. We like justice to be served. But sometimes if we're honest, we might prefer not to be treated quite as we deserve. Let me explain. If I pass a speed camera and I'm driving at three kilometers per hour or above the speed limit, I could justly be punished. However, I might hope that the police officer will extend grace and not charge me. Do I deserve the police officer's kindness? Well, strictly speaking, no, I don't, but I do hope that he or she will extend it to me. When it comes to God then, do we hope he will treat us as we deserve or not? The way we respond to that will depend a little on what we think we deserve from God. The way we respond to that might depend on the way we respond to the question, do I deserve God's kindness? In other words, do I deserve his approval or his acceptance? Today we're going to read a part of the Bible, the book of Mark, and a fundamental question in the passage we're going to read is, who deserves God's kindness? It will help us to think through the question for each of us, do I deserve God's kindness? Let's read the Bible and let's find out what it takes to be deserving of God's kindness, his approval of us, his acceptance of us. Open your Bible or look up your Bible app to Mark 7 verses 24 to 37. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version today. Now, I really encourage you to have the Bible open in front of you as you listen so that you can check what I'm saying against what you read in the Bible, in Scripture. 
If you don't have a Bible but you have a web browser available, you could try a website like BibleGateway.com or Biblia.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-A.com. Let's read Mark 7 verses 24 to 37. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephathah, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. To understand today's passage as well as possible, we need to start with just a little bit of geography. In the part of the Bible just before the one we've just read, Jesus was in the area of Gennesaret, which is just to the north of the Sea of Galilee. In verse 24, we read that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, sometimes it's easy to just skip over the place names in the Bible, but this is actually quite significant. You see, Tyre, to the northwest of the Sea of Galilee, is a predominantly Gentile region. The term Gentile refers to anybody who's not a Jew. So, for example, I'm a Gentile. However, at this point in time, and dating right back to the promises God made to Abraham in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, only the people of Israel, only the Jews, can have any sort of relationship with God. Only they can have the blessing of being accepted by him. The Gentiles, on the other hand, with just a few notable exceptions, are quite firmly outside of this. If you listened to the last edition of this podcast, you might recall that we talked about the issue of cleanliness, and this stemmed from the fact that the leaders of the Jewish people were extremely concerned that people be ceremonially clean so that they could approach God in what they perceived to be the right way, so that people would be acceptable to God. And for them, Gentiles were dreadfully unclean. In no way at all could they be acceptable to God. They were complete outsiders. Now, while the Jews believed that they had their national identity to make them deserving of God's acceptance, the Gentiles didn't. So isn't it interesting then that in this, the very next passage, we find Jesus, the Son of God, in Gentile territory. What's more, we find that although Jesus is trying to keep a low profile, he gets a very enthusiastic visitor. A visitor who would, for all appearances, be utterly unclean, unacceptable to God. Someone who, for all appearances, was completely undeserving of God's kindness. 
She's a Gentile woman, a Greek from Syrian Phoenicia, and she has a daughter who is possessed by a demon, which is another reason to make her unclean, so to speak. This woman has so much going against her, and yet she comes to Jesus all the same. And how does she do that? How does she come to him? Well, she falls at his feet, and in verse 26, she begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. She has heard about Jesus, and she is compelled to seek his help. Jesus replies, and we see a really interesting, fascinating, possibly confusing interchange between them. Jesus uses what's called a parable, which is a type of story or a word picture. In verse 27, First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she replies in kind. She follows Jesus' lead and the parable he uses. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now let's unravel what all this means. There are three elements of the parable that we need to translate. Who are the children? What is the bread? And who are the dogs? Well, the children are the children of Israel, the Jews. That is, God's special people. The bread refers to the kingdom of God. That is, God's rule over the world and the blessing of being accepted by him, being part of his kingdom. One way in which we see Jesus showing God's kingship in the world is by the casting out of demons. Thirdly, the dogs are the Gentiles. So what Jesus is saying here is, don't take the kingdom of God that is intended for the Jews and give it to the Gentiles. Now, this certainly doesn't sound very flattering at all, does it? And our sense of equal rights and anti-discrimination probably make us bristle at what we're reading. Our sense of justice is unsettled by it. And indeed, this should make us feel a bit uncomfortable. However, it gives us a good idea, a good picture, doesn't it, of just how far outside of God's kingdom the Gentiles were considered to be, of just how undeserving of his acceptance and kindness they were thought to be. But the woman is not dissuaded. She is not discouraged. And you see, Jesus has not actually said that the kingdom is exclusively for the Jews. In verse 27, he begins by saying, First, let the children eat all they want. The word first is key. He's not claiming exclusivity, just priority, which means that there is an opportunity available to the Gentiles. And the woman sees it and she seizes it. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She knows about Jesus. No doubt she's heard of the magnitude of the miracles that he has performed. So perhaps, just maybe, she, a gentle woman with a demon-possessed daughter, can experience just a crumb of his kingdom, just a very small portion of it. Maybe Jesus could show his kingly rule over the demon in her daughter and cast it out. She comes to Jesus humbly. She knows and she acknowledges that she has no right to God's acceptance, that she has no right to his kindness. She has no right to experience the blessings of his kingdom. But she comes hoping, trusting, believing, and her faith is rewarded. Verse 29, then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And that's exactly what happens. Her daughter is healed. The demon has gone. The kingdom of God has encompassed a Gentile woman and her demon-possessed daughter. And a parent outsider finds Jesus welcome. 
the apparently undeserving receives grace. Not so long ago, Prince Harry married Meghan Markle in an extravagant and beautiful display of British pageantry. If you watched any of the footage preceding the ceremony, you may have seen various dignitaries, celebrities and superstars arrive. Posh and Bex were there, George and Amal Clooney, Serena Williams, Oprah Winfrey and countless others. Now these are not just your small hometown celebrities, these are the big names. These are people whose faces are on TV screens, billboards, magazines every single day of the year. Theirs are some of the most recognisable faces in the world. So it was really interesting to see that as they all entered St George's Chapel for the ceremony, they each had to present their invitation. Victoria and David Beckham could not rely on their recognisability to secure them entry. They could not assume that their superstar status alone made them deserving. They had to bring the right ticket. Now imagine if your eye then turned up to Windsor Castle, somehow managed to get through security to the chapel and said, please, I don't have an invitation. I have no right to be here, but please, could you let me just stand here in the doorway and listen? Imagine if the security guard said yes. Imagine if you were given access to the royal wedding, even though to all observers you had no right to be there. You did not deserve access. Well, it's a little bit like that with this Gentile woman. Despite all the reasons she appears undeserving, Jesus extends his grace to her. Well, let's keep moving through our passage for today. Verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Jesus is now in this area southeast of the Sea of Galilee, but we're still in predominantly Gentile territory. And it's actually not the first time that Jesus has been here to the Decapolis. In Mark 5, Jesus cast a demon out of a man here. And in Mark 5, 19 to 20, we find that the Decapolis is the one non-Jewish place where Jesus has commanded and authorized the spread of the gospel, the good news about him. Jesus tells the man from whom he has cast a powerful demon to go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. But there's someone here in today's passage who would not have heard what that formerly demon-possessed man said. There's a man here who is deaf and who can barely talk. People bring him to Jesus, and just as the woman begged Jesus to heal her daughter, these people beg Jesus to touch the man for healing. They come to Jesus humbly seeking his help, and Jesus does help. He takes the man aside, and in a very physical gesture, he puts his fingers in his ears, and he spits and touches his tongue. Jesus then looks up to heaven and he says, Ephatha, or be opened. Suddenly at Jesus' command, the man can hear and he can speak. And speaking is what happens a lot from here on in our passage by those who witness Jesus' miracle. You see, Jesus commands them not to tell anyone, but they do and more and more and more. The word translated kept talking here is literally proclaimed or preached. The good news of Jesus is being preached more and more in this Gentile region. God's kingdom is coming here to a Gentile area, to the people whose race would seem to rule them out as undeserving. God's kingship, his loving, saving rule over the world is coming here. And we know this is the case because it is something that was foretold hundreds of years beforehand through a prophet named Isaiah. 
when God promised that he was going to send someone to save his people. Another word we might use to describe this saviour is Messiah. In the book of Isaiah in the Bible, chapter 35, verses 4 to 6, we read, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. When God's Messiah would come, deaf would hear. Those who couldn't speak would be enabled to. And the Jews who live here in this Gentile region, they know the prophecies of Isaiah. They recognize that Jesus is doing what was foretold of the Messiah, the one who God had promised to send to save his people. They see Jesus' work and they are overwhelmed with amazement. They see Jesus' work and they are compelled to share it. They are unstoppable in sharing it, in fact. So more and more people in this Gentile region are hearing the good news of Jesus, of God's kingdom. More and more people who might be considered undeserving are learning about Jesus, who he is and what he does. And what we see here in part, we will see more and more as the Bible story unfolds. The good news of God's kingdom that was once for the Jews, the Israelites, will be for all. The boundaries will be burst wide open so that we learn in Galatians 3 verses 28 to 29. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What these verses in the Bible are saying is that race no longer determines whether or not a person can be accepted by God, whether a person can receive God's kindness. So then what does determine it? If deserving God's acceptance is not based upon race or sex or any other kind of status, what is it based upon? Are there any criteria at all? Who is deserving and am I one of them? Do I deserve God's acceptance? Do I deserve for him to be kind to me? Because I don't know about you, but if there's anyone whose acceptance I want, it's God's. If God is the all-powerful creator of the world with power over life and death and over my eternal destiny, I want him to accept me. I want him to approve of me, to be kind to me. I certainly do not want his displeasure. So what do I deserve? Do I deserve his acceptance? Do I deserve his kindness? Well, the answer is not a pleasant one. Do I deserve God's acceptance? Do I deserve for him to be kind to me? Well, the answer is a clear no. I don't deserve God's acceptance and it has nothing at all to do with the fact that I'm a Gentile. Another book of the Bible, Romans chapter 3 verses 23 tells me this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have sinned. I have displeased God. The Bible also tells me in Romans 6 verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. My just desert for sinning against God is punishment, and that punishment is death. Do I deserve God's acceptance? Do I deserve his kindness? Absolutely not, I'm afraid. My race doesn't rule me out from receiving God's acceptance. But my sin, on the other hand, that is another story. My sin means I deserve death. But do you remember the woman we read about? The woman who didn't deserve God, Jesus' acceptance, his kindness? The woman who didn't deserve his help. 
He freely, graciously gave it all the same, didn't he? He freely healed her daughter, not because she was deserving, but because he is gracious. He graciously gave her what was not what she deserved. And this, this giving of what is not deserved to the undeserving, you see, this is what God does. That verse we just read, Romans 6 verse 23, I haven't actually read all of it to you yet. Let's read the whole verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do I deserve God's acceptance? Do I deserve his kindness to me? No, I deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of death, we can have life. Because Jesus died the death we deserve to die, he offers us the free and gracious gift of life instead of the death we deserve. You see, what we see in today's passage is precisely what we see in our own lives. The good news of Jesus is not for those who deserve it. Since, as Romans 3 verse 23 tells us, all have sinned, none of us deserve God's acceptance. None of us deserve his kindness. But the good news is that God's acceptance, his kindness is available to the undeserving by trusting in Jesus. If we, like the Syrophoenician woman, recognize that we don't deserve for God to accept us, and if we, like her, humbly come to him, seeking him, placing our trust in Jesus to save us, not trusting in our own merits to make us deserving, we will receive forgiveness. We already know that the woman's race, her sex, her unwell daughter did nothing to make her deserve Jesus' help. We also need to know that Jesus didn't help her because she gave a clever answer. There was nothing at all about her that made her deserve Jesus' help, that made her deserve God's acceptance. He gave it because he saw her humble, faithful trust in him and in his ability to extend grace even to her. So just like her, we need to know we don't deserve his forgiveness. You see, the starting point to receiving God's acceptance and his kindness is recognizing that we don't deserve it, recognizing that we need to humbly trust in Jesus and the fact that he took the punishment we deserve in our place. And if we do that, if we trust Jesus to take the punishment we deserve for us, we can be sure, we can be absolutely certain the good news is that in Jesus, we can be sure of being accepted by God, even though we don't deserve it. Realizing that we don't deserve God's acceptance is the starting point to receiving it. And this should compel us to share it. Just like the people of the Decapolis, when we see the amazing works of Jesus, we should be compelled to share them. When we know the free, gracious gift of salvation that he offers us, this should compel us to make it known to others. Just say you're on Facebook and there's a cafe you love that makes coffee that is beyond amazing and brownies that are out of this world. Just say you follow their page and one day in your newsfeed, you see their latest post. They're giving away free coffee and brownies tomorrow all day. Are you gonna keep it to yourself? Probably not. You're probably gonna see the post and feel compelled to click like. What's more, you might love this cafe so much that you feel compelled to share the post. You might even add a note like this. Hey guys, best coffee ever, best brownies, free tomorrow. Do yourself a favor and check them out. 
You don't deserve the free coffee or brownie, but it is available to you and it's available to your friends. So you feel compelled to let them know. Should we feel any the less compelled to share the good news of Jesus? Because the good news of salvation in Jesus is for the undeserving. And this makes it compelling news. The compelling good news of Jesus is for the undeserving. So as we close, here is a question for each of us to ask ourselves. Do I deserve for God to accept me? Do I deserve for him to be kind to me? Or do I believe that Jesus came so that I can receive God's acceptance even though I don't deserve it? You might be listening now and for the very first time, you might be convinced that you want to trust that Jesus died in your place so that you can have the gift of God's acceptance of his kindness towards you. Now, if that's you, then in a few moments, I'm going to pray a prayer that you can pray too to ask God for forgiveness in Jesus. Or perhaps you've been a Christian for a while now. The question for those who are already trusting in Jesus is this. How compelled am I to share what I know about God's kindness, his acceptance of those who don't deserve it? Am I amazed and overwhelmed when I think about the fact that Jesus died the punishment I deserve so that I could receive the kindness of God that I don't deserve? because the good news of Jesus is for the undeserving and as such, it is very compelling news indeed. Now, if you are convinced that this good news is true, but you're just not feeling that compelled to share it, can I encourage you to pray for a sense of compulsion? Pray that just like the people of the Decapolis, you would feel overwhelmed and amazed when you think about Jesus and what he has done. Pray that you would have such great delight in him that you cannot do anything but share it, that you would feel such joy and gratitude that it simply bubbles up and overflows out of you. Now, this might all be new information to you. If you agree that you don't deserve God's acceptance, but you are willing to trust that Jesus' death in your place means you can receive it, you might want to pray something like what I'm about to pray right now. Dear God, I have sinned. I don't deserve your acceptance. I don't deserve your kindness to me. But I believe you sent Jesus to die in my place to take the punishment for my sins upon himself. Please forgive me for my sins that make me undeserving of your favour. Thank you for your gracious, kind gift of forgiveness, salvation and eternal life. Amen. If you prayed a prayer like that for the first time, or if you're thinking about it but you're not sure yet, can I urge you to speak to someone about it? If you have a pastor, talk to your pastor. Talk to a Christian friend if you have one. You could also talk to me. I'd love to hear from you. My email address is r-a-k-o-t-t-e-r-e-r at gmail.com. But don't let this be the last you think about it because what Jesus offers is an amazing, gracious, free gift and it is precisely for people like you and like me. If you accept this gift, you are absolutely assured of God's acceptance, that he will extend his kindness to you and that when you die, he will take you into his heaven with him. And that is extremely good, compellingly great news indeed. Mm -hmm.